0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. You can't hear the word countdown or watch a countdown without knowing that something is about to happen. Three, two, one. Something's about to end. Three, two, one, something's about to start. Three, two, one, something is about to change. And then sometimes every once in a while, it's the countdown three, two, one, and all three things happen at the same time. Something ends, something changes, and something new starts and usually it's the as the days and the minutes and the seconds get closer to that moment there's this feeling and this building of anticipation we experience this throughout our lives don't we on new year's eve we watch on tv and maybe some of you have been there but the ball dropping right in times square or maybe it's on the starting blocks in a track meet or a swim meet what about the night before you get married I know I was counting down. I was excited. What about the last month in pregnancy? You're, you're gone that, you know, hopefully you have gone the whole time. You're getting closer. That due date's right there. You're wondering, what, what is the day exactly when this is going to happen? And then three, two, one, it's go time. And you are run, you're rushing to the hospital. Well, this week is all about anticipation, about moving towards something big. You see, everything that Jesus said and did was counting down to an event, an event that would signify the end of one thing, the beginning of something new, and this event would then change our lives forever. Today is Palm Sunday, like Mark was sharing earlier, and the first day of Holy Week, So it's at this point in Jesus' life that Jesus is beginning that countdown to when he'll be handed over and he'll be crucified. In our passage from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is getting ready to enter Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. And he gives his disciples the strange instructions. He says to two of the disciples, I want you to go ahead and go to that village. You're gonna find a colt that's tied there. I want you to take the colt once you take the and if anybody asks you why you're taking it, tell them the Lord needs it and they'll give it to you. And then bring it back so I can ride it in Jerusalem. And you you read that or you hear that and you think, is that just what they did in the Bible times? Um, No. That would be called stealing. I think there's a commandment about that one. You just can't do that. I mean, it was weird back then when the disciples heard those instructions, just as it would be weird as if today Jesus said, okay, after church, I want you to go outside. I want you to walk down Convict Hill, take a ride on the third street, go to the second house and ask them for their car. Just tell them the Lord needs it and they'll give it to you. So if you want to go ahead and try that, go for it. But I've had these disciples, as they're walking towards this village, if they were anything like me, they're thinking this isn't going to work. We're going to get there and we're asking this guy for his donkey. I mean, those were of high value back then. This is just crazy. And now again, maybe I'm just wrong or maybe again, it's just me and the disciples were more uh, spiritual than me, which I'm sure they were. But I'm guessing they were thinking that, that they're thinking this just doesn't make sense. And maybe another thing they're thinking is, why a donkey? I mean, Jesus, this is a big entrance. Your popularity is at an all-time high. I mean, maybe a big horse or something, but a donkey? So maybe stuff they're thinking about. And if you don't know a lot about donkeys, and I'm not saying I do, but, you know, when you think about a donkey, I don't know if you... Well, maybe that's a horse, right? Maybe a donkey's more like chest high. But in the Middle East, it was more like... They're smaller, right? So they're about this high. But now we're saying it's a cult of a donkey. So it's like this... So, keep pictures like Jesus, like hee haw, hee haw, <laughs> you know, coming in. And there, the disciples go, that's not impressive. A big stallion, when I think of a big stallion, I just go back to those days of watching the Lone Ranger, right? Silver, that's what Jesus should be coming in on. But he chooses a donkey. The disciples aren't the only one thinking that Jesus why he might be coming to this, but maybe he's coming to stage a military takeover of the government. In our passage from John chapter 12, in verse 12, we read, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it's, it's a Sunday. It's before the, the big Jewish festival called the Passover. It was the biggest festival that they celebrated and it still is for those who are Jewish. And in Jerusalem, it was just jam-packed. I mean, it was packed. Kind of like going down to, um, in Austin by South By, right? Just can't get around basically. And if you lived within a certain distance of Jerusalem, The law required that you actually come into Jerusalem and then that's where you would celebrate Passover because that's where the temple was. And just before this, before they get there, just a few miles away, Jesus had been in another town and that is where he brought Lazarus back from the dead. So since that wasn't too far from Jerusalem, it's easy to imagine that some of these folks that were there in Jerusalem that day had seen that. And they're coming back and telling people, you, got, you won't believe what Jesus can do. So people are lining the streets to get a glimpse of Jesus. But again, some people might be thinking, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one that God has sent to deliver us. But not from our sin and condemnation, but to deliver us from the Romans. Maybe Jesus is that person. And they thought this for a few reasons. One, with the the palm branches. The palm branches were waved back then at a time. It was symbolic of when there was a military invasion and there was a victory. So when you saw palm branches being waved, again, you either knew that was happening. Someone was about to invade or they had just won. Also, when Jesus rode by, the crowd yelled, Hosanna, just as the kids sang earlier. And Hosanna literally translates, Lord, save us. And right here, it's almost more emphatic. It is, Lord, save us now. Save us from these Romans who invaded our country, who who killed our families. Save us from the terrible things that are happening to us. They also yelled, blessed is the king of Israel now that's not too subtle and in this country it was illegal to say that anybody was king other than Herod and if you did you'd receive the death penalty and so here you have these crowds lining the streets and when they're chanting this it's as if they're saying Caesar you're not king Herod you're not king Jesus is king and we are going to follow him And then in verse 14, still in in John's gospel, he's about to quote some verses, actually from the book of Zechariah, which is in the Old Testament. And it's a book that is just filled with prophecies. Prophecies that talk about, this is what you are to look for when God sends the Messiah. The one who will take away your sins, the one who will reconnect you back to God. And we read in our scripture, John writes, just as it is written, so it's written back in the Old Testament, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion, referring to Israel. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. That's what you're to look for. You're not to look for a king maybe in the way that you expect, but he's going to be entering on a donkey. And again, why is that important? I mean, 2,000 years later, we're probably thinking, wow, why are you sharing all that with us? Well, it's probably more important for the folks back then. Because in Zechariah, that he quoted verse 9, but in the same chapter, in chapter 10, it talks about this. It talks about um, the contrast between a king who rides in after conquering somebody on a donkey and a king that rides in on a war horse. And the, the difference and the contrast would be would be exactly like a simple indicator of what the future held for the people who lived there. So if they saw then the, the king that's coming in that just had conquered them, they knew that he was going to come in and destroy them. Anybody that wasn't on his side, it's not going to end well. But if the conquering king came in on a donkey, he came for peace and reconciliation. So when Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king on a donkey, it symbolizes that he came for peace, to bring peace between God and people. Now we have the luxury of of looking back and saying, oh, that's what was going on. That's what it meant. But the people living, especially as we think about the disciples, they didn't have that. Again, in verse 16, it said, at first the disciples did not understand Only after, meaning later, when Jesus was glorified, when he rose from the dead, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. And you got to catch that because Jesus is doing everything that the prophet said he would do. But in the midst of it, when it was actually happening, they didn't recognize it. It didn't make sense. And on Thursday, as we're going to be um, celebrating this Thursday, Monday, Thursday, that Thursday of Holy Week is when Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. But they didn't know that Sunday was coming. And not until everything was over, seeing Jesus hanging on the cross and then seeing the risen Christ, could they look back on that week and see, oh, now that makes sense but it didn't make sense when I was going through it how often does that happen to us in the chaos of a moment our vision and our understanding is just clouded we can't see clearly until we step back maybe we look back a little bit further and gain some understanding The first takeaway that I want to leave with you today is this. God is always doing more than you are currently aware of in the moment. And it may not make sense until much later. It may not make sense on this side of heaven. See, when the disciples again were ready to follow Jesus into Jerusalem, Jesus over and over again was telling them, this is who I am. And this is what I'm going to do. But we find them that in that moment, they didn't understand. It didn't make sense. That can't be the plan, Jesus. I mean, we know how it should end. I mean, it just didn't make sense to them. But as we read that scripture, even though they didn't understand, think about those two disciples. They still obeyed. They still went to get the donkey. That's faith. And they found it just as Jesus said it would be. And then, Again, God is always doing more than we are currently aware of in the moment. And it may not make sense until much later. God might show us only the next three or four steps to take. But when you're not sure what that next step is and what it's supposed to entail, God will give you enough Enough to make it to the next promise. Enough to make it to the next destination. So that you will be able to follow him even in those moments when it seems that everything is lost. And it's in those moments when we take one step after the other and we're taking in faith and we're trusting God that we have to ask the question, do we believe And will we follow him? In the summer of 2015, Mark and I both stepped away from the respective churches that we had been serving at. Not either of us, not knowing fully what that next step and what God had fully planned for either of us. However, God was doing much more than we were aware of in that moment. And there are many of you here today that at that time, we're not aware of all that God was doing. And yet today, we're all here together in this new church plant called the vine. And we can look back now and we can see just with so much clarity, God's hand in it. We can celebrate and give thanks for that. The second takeaway is this. God is already working in your life and in the lives of others. So join him. I love the way Bono said it from you too, He was asked to be a guest speaker a few years ago at the National Prayer Breakfast, and he said this. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God's doing. It's already been blessed. Isn't that good? But the truth is, if we're honest, we often do the opposite thing. We're like, God, bless my plans. Bless what I want to do. I'm not even sure if it's right or wrong, but just bless it, it's going to be good. What if we stopped doing that and we approached it and said, God, give us eyes to see what you're doing so that we can join in? And I want you to take a moment and think about what is God putting in front of you? What need is before you? Is there a person that God has placed upon your heart? Where is God prodding you to join him? A few weeks ago, as uh, many of you know, that I was able to be with my dad in his final days uh, before he died. And you know, it's in the times of, of loss that often people ask, where is God? Not only was he right there in the midst of our pain, but isn't it just so true that he works in some of the most powerful ways when our hearts are just broken and the heartache just seems too much to bear? At my dad's memorial service, we not only had an opportunity to honor him and to thank God for him, but we also had an opportunity to give witness to the resurrection and the hope that we have in Jesus you know, as a pastor, I have the privilege to do weddings and to do funerals. And it's always interesting that at a wedding, I mean, they want you to keep talking faster. Like, let's get this thing done. Let's say I do. Let's go to that reception, right? But at a funeral, people listen much more acutely, they lean in to what is being shared. And there are people at my dad's memorial service that. Um, I knew needed to hear about the hope we have in Christ. And then there are also, one of the things that my dad, I remember this uh, by his bedside and I'm in there just by myself and all of a sudden this EMT comes in and it's one of the EMTs that my dad had fallen quite often and he had helped him up. And he looks at me at tears his eyes and goes, I just love your dad. And he knelt down and just started praying and sobbing, and I got to kneel down beside him and pray with him. God was opening up a door. God just invited me right into that situation. And then my mom, she's there at this retirement home, and, and uh, all these people are checking, all these, especially all these ladies, and some of them are widows as well, and uh, a couple of them came in, and, and they don't know, they aren't Christians. And my mom's like, I want to share with you about who Christ is and how you can have a relationship with them. She's stepping in and joining in what God's already doing. And through her and our loss, God has opened up hearts in working and moving. Friends, that is all to say God doesn't waste our heartache. He's at work and he invites us to join him. But it's not always just in those times of, of loss and heartache. Maybe it's in having boldness to Share your faith to tell others about Jesus or to simply invite them to come to church. And we can do so with confidence knowing that he is already at work in their life. Not necessarily that it's dependent upon us. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I want to be on anybody's team, well, I guess if you're still in the tournament, maybe that loyal team from Chicago, um, they're looking pretty good. But I want to be on God's team, Right? Because God is the one who does the heavy lifting. God is the one who does the life change. And you know what he calls us to be? Faithful messengers. Friends, as we enter Holy Week, see that Jesus comes to save you riding on the donkey. But he doesn't stop there. He's going to wash your feet. He's going to show you how to love by serving others. Then he's going to be falsely accused, abandoned, denied. He's going to suffer on the cross beyond anything that any of us could ever comprehend. I believe the call for us here is to linger there this week. In that space. And let that get us ready for Easter. For the promise of the resurrection is certain and sure. And and may that be the motivation for all of us to invite others to come and see. Christmas and Easter are the two times most likely if you ask someone, yeah, we'll come. We'll come. So I want you to grab these three invite cards. Either they're at your feet right now because they've been knocked down or Whatever, or you can go, it's awkward to find where they might be. But anyway, if they're available, grab the three cards. And as you hold these, I want you to think and give a name to each one of these cards who you're going to give one to. Who you're going to reach out. Who God has, has placed you uniquely in somebody's life to invite them to come. You know, inviting people can be intimidating. I mean, what if they say no, right? Well, they might. But don't say no for them. By not inviting them, you're, you're already saying, taking that away from them. And maybe even if you invite them, they will say no. But they might be one step closer to the next person who invites them to saying yes. Yes. Friends, we have the greatest news in the world to share. And may the love that Jesus demonstrated for you and for me on the cross move us to invite people to come and see the good news of Easter.